This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joining with us over in the Fox Valley and in Stevens Point as well as all the people still at home and all around the world on the internet, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning at Celebration Church. Before we go any further in our service, we want to pause to take our offering. Um, Several ways you can give uh, online. Many people have signed up for recurrent giving, which then just often happens automatically, uh, which is very helpful for the budgeting purposes. Uh, um, But uh, others give uh, when you're at our various campuses on the way out, there'll be buckets and stuff. If you want to put a check or cash in there, uh, do so. Or a lot of people can give by texting, which is what I do. The way that works, you can get your phone out and you're going to send a message to this number, 77977. There it is. Then you're going to type in CCWI and the dollar amount. And then you should get a confirmation back. Bingo. Okay, now, so, <laughs> so I've been doing this for months with y'all, right? And, you know, I'm kind of busy up here. I got stuff to do. I don't have time to read every little bit. As soon as I saw a response, I thought, it went through. It did not. So I had to write a big check this week <laughs> <laughs> to cover all my giving that I did not do. You know, like, oh, man, you know, it's one thing to give a little at a time. It kind of hurts when you do it all at once. It's like, Ugh. so, uh, So I just did it again. Please specify a fund. So I have to hit a link. It apparently wants to know what campus or whatever I want to give in. So anyway, check it out. If you get a response, doesn't mean it went through Green Bay campus. Ta-da! Thanks! You've actually given money. All right. That was creepy. Anyway. I gotta wait until the end of the year, man. You know, I was thinking, you know, I'm doing pretty good. 
I got extra money, not expecting, because I ain't giving any money away. <laughs> Dang. But you want to do it, because I want to be blessed. Give, and it shall be given to you, the Bible says. Um, now, uh, starting not next week, but the week after, we are going to be returning to normal communion service. Uh, yes. As you know, I hate those little things we've been handing out. Uh, and uh, you know, we've been doing it because of the pandemic. The CDC now says the chances of this spreading from a surface is extremely unlikely. The chance of one in 10,000. So what we're going to do is instead of handing you a little cup thing, uh, when you come in in two weeks, we're going to be handing you at our campuses a little wipe thing. All right, so then what we're going to do is, before we take communion, ask everybody to open it up. <laughs> Bring a knife with you. And, uh... <laughs> Man, why is everybody carrying a knife? That's these stupid packets, I don't know. Uh, and then before communion, and then everybody just kind of wipe off. And then with, even without that, the chance is one in 10,000. With that, it's virtually impossible. So, um, so we'll be going back to that. So keep that in mind. We were uh, in Texas, East Texas yesterday uh, at a cowboy church. Never been to a cowboy church. Uh, it's just a regular church, all with a cowboy theme. And the pastor's just like a cowboy. I don't do cowboy. So uh, I came out in my normal tuxedo and stuff like that. I figured the only thing more ridiculous than me wearing a tuxedo at a cowboy church is me dressing up like a cowboy. So I just went with my normal groove. Anyway, on the way home last night, they announced over the plane that uh, the airport is locked down because of a uh, shooter uh, uh, on the loose, which you can imagine was pretty creepy. Uh, and it's sad what happened last night. You know, I just can't imagine having a loved one go out for dinner or whatever, and boom, they're killed because of somebody who goes crazy. And just remember, when you see stuff like that, this is not a sign that there is no God. It is a sign that there is evil in the world. And that's why we pray, deliver us from evil, because it is a very real and present danger out there. And that's why, why you want to pray. And uh, remember these people in our community that have gone through this horrible thing. Very, very sad. Anyway, all right, this morning is the uh, fifth Sunday of Easter, and uh, we're going to be talking in today's message about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be doing this for a couple of weeks as we come up to uh, Pentecost Sunday, which is May 23rd, and uh, we're going to be having a special service on that day. I'll explain more about that in a minute, but let's take a look at this. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Now, we read this last week. We've read a few of these scriptures over the last few weeks. Uh, Jesus, uh, as, as we're reading in the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, this is, you've got the Gospels, and then you have the letters, the epistles, they call them, and in between is the Acts of the Apostles. This is the record of the early Christian church. This is what they did. This is how they went about doing what they did. So, uh, we're reading Acts in the first chapter, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean 
being baptized with water has no significance. No, it still does. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're to baptize people in water. But then there is a second distinct experience that has to do with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told them, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they weren't really sure what he's talking about, which I pointed out many times. They generally did not know what he was talking about. I mean, it's stunning as we're coming up to Holy Week and uh, how many times Jesus told his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me and I will raise on the third day. And then they get there and it happens and they're shocked. <laughs> and it's like, hello, I've been telling you this for weeks. Uh, and they, just, they had just gotten to the point, they didn't understand what he was talking about. It was very confusing to them. So he says, don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes. They have no idea what's, what the deal is. So now let's take a look at this. This is Acts, the second chapter. The day of Pentecost came. They were all together. There's about 120 of them, I believe, up in this upper room. It wasn't just the uh, 12 apostles, okay? There's a gaggle of them all up there. And they were all together in one place. And then suddenly, a sound like a the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It's loud. When you have a violent wind, you know, it's not... <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like really intense. And it fills this house where they're at. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And that had to be weird. And then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this is quite the display, quite the racket. Now there were in Jerusalem uh, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They had all come uh, for this celebration of, of Pentecost, part of the Jewish calendar. Uh, anyway, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, as you can imagine. And then each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that we, each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them, this bunch of people, praising God. They're declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We can understand them. How is that even possible? Uh, and uh, this is often referred to as prophesying. The Bible, will talk, in the New Testament, talks about prophesying. Even in the Old Testament, it wasn't always prophetic like we think of telling the future. These were people the Holy Spirit would come on them and they would speak the wonders of God. Uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you as you're speaking and talking and encouraging people, from a Bible's perspective, you are prophesying to them. A pastor like myself or any speaker standing and ministering to people is really considered prophesying. I am prophesying to you and encouraging you and lifting you up. So that's what these guys were doing. Um, so, uh, so anyway, perplexed and amazed, they asked each other, what does this mean? And then some, however, made fun of them, there's always those guys, and said, they've had too much wine. 
because he figured they were all hammered and out of their minds. Well, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter had never been to Wisconsin. And uh, so, you know, new experience for them. And uh, she says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, he starts to quote a verse of scripture they all had known. You have to remember, these guys didn't have Bibles like we have. And they certainly didn't have them on screens or anything like that. They had scrolls. They weren't commonly available to people. And a lot of these verses they would hear about and they would memorize and they were taught this as little children. And there is this one prophecy by this uh, prophet Joel who was speaking in terms of the future. And he was speaking of a time when the spirit of God would come on everybody. And I'm sure when they read this back in those days, they kind of, you know, how is this even possible? Because what we saw throughout the Bible is the Holy Spirit would come on specific people, some king or some prophet or some amazing thing would happen. Uh, Samson, who was this, you know, very powerful man. And we don't know that he was very big at all. He could have been like me, (laughs) you know. But when the Holy Spirit came on him, boom, nobody could stop him. I mean, so we would see these examples. But then this prophet says, listen, there's a day coming when everything's going to change. And the Spirit of God is going to be on everybody. And he starts to quote this. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Again, they were familiar with this verse. You guys know about this. It said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. They are going to have spiritual encounters. Everybody is going to be able to experience this. Even on my servants, both men and women. Now, this is radical because in that culture, servants were nothing and they expected nothing and were given pretty much nothing. They were at the bottom of the totem pole in life, servants. He says, even on servants. In fact, there's there's a one parable uh, where Jesus talks about servants and he says, you know, if your servant is out there working all day long and he comes in out of the field, do you say, hey, take a rest and get something to eat and then make me some dinner? Well, when I read that, I think, well, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. I think most of us would. Man, sit down, have some lemonade, relax, clean up a little bit, let me make you a sandwich or something like that. But Jesus says, no. And, and the, the implication is, it would have been highly inappropriate. This is the culture that they came from. You know, I think we're nicer than that culture. But, uh, you know, no, you wouldn't give them anything. You make them serve you. And then after they fed you and everything, then they can go get something to eat. That was the status of a servant. They were at the bottom. And he says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out of my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. And what happens is Peter goes on reading, quoting this verse and said, this that you are seeing, this is it. This has now changed. Everything changes now. Now God is going to pour out his spirit and make it available to everybody and anybody who believes. This is a radical new direction. Because up until this point, it was always on. Even, even when I talked about Jesus, they would go, you know, but Jesus came and he was under the power of the Holy Spirit. They understood this stuff for one or two people. The idea that this could be everyone is completely and totally radical.
So this happens. They start preaching. People are converting to Christianity like crazy. Um, then we read, and, and I read this a few weeks ago, the time that uh, in Acts 8th chapter, verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that people in Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, get the context here. They were believers. They had already believed. They had already been baptized. And now they came to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep pointing this out to you. As you read through the book of Acts, it is always a separate and distinct experience. It's a little radical because this has been washed away largely by evangelical teaching, which I'll talk about in just a minute because they, oh, they can't handle it. But uh, it's absolutely, it, it's not, it just doesn't happen automatically is what we're saying here. So because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were believers, they'd been baptized, but had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Well, then Simon, in the context of a sorcerer who was following and seeing this, he said he saw that when the Spirit was giving on the laying on of hands, uh, apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me this, also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, all to say, it doesn't say what happens when they receive the Holy Spirit. Not here. It doesn't say it. We see the first time they spoke in tongues. This time, it doesn't say anything. But something happened. He saw something uh, and offered them money for the power to do it. Um, in Acts, the ninth chapter, the next chapter, we went through this not too long ago. Ananias, this, this is when uh, uh, this centurion had... Uh, this Italian centurion in the army, uh, was a, he, was, he was trying to know about God and stuff like that. And an angel said, you need to go get this guy named Peter to come and, and speak to you. So he sends them. And then Peter has this vision where he sees, you know, these sheets let down and all these creepy crawly things that Jews are not supposed to eat. And the voice said, Peter, get up and eat. He says, no, I've never done that, Lord. And this happens three times. Peter starts to get the idea, okay, I probably shouldn't call everybody a creepy crawly, you know, and be more open. So anyway, he goes with these men when they show up. First thing he says when he gets there is, you know, I shouldn't be here talking to you people, <laughs> which is highly insulting, okay? But that was the culture of the day. The Jews had nothing to do with people that were not Jewish. They would limit it as much as humanly possible. I shouldn't even be here talking to you guys. What do you want? And they said, well, you know, this angel up here. And he said, oh, all right. So he starts talking about Jesus. I, he's not trying to convert anybody. He doesn't think they can be converted because they're a bunch of Italians. They're Gentiles. They're not, they're not Jews. And then it says here, um, oh, wait, I skipped a story. <laughs> this is Acts chapter 10. I'll come back to nine in a minute. So anyway, while Peter was still talking, this is Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all of those who heard the message. So while they're listening, faith fills their hearts. They're becoming born again. They're believing in Jesus. This transformative moment happens. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them. See, Mark? It, it all happens at the same time. Well, sometimes, but look what happens. These circumcised believers and those other Jews who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them, what? Speaking in tongues and praising God. So something, again, is happening here. 
It happens and something visible happens as a result of it. Now back up to the one I skipped. Uh, in Acts, the ninth chapter, Paul, well, his name was Saul at the time, he was persecuting all these Christians. He's fighting God. He's going to uh, persecute Christians. He, uh, Jesus appears to him. He goes blind. And, uh, uh, and then this guy comes to him in Acts, the ninth chapter, verse 17. Then Ananias, that's the guy, went to the house where, where uh, Saul was. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. I don't think it had anything to do with the Holy Spirit per se. It's just that he'd been blinded and all of a sudden now he can see. And then he got up and was baptized. And again, the difference between baptizing, receiving the Holy Spirit, believing, we're seeing these things. It doesn't say what happens to Paul. We do know that he did speak in tongues because he writes later, which we'll talk about in upcoming weeks. One of the statements he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he was very proficient in this gift. All right, then Acts 19, as we're going through this, starting at verse one. Uh, while Apollos, which was another preacher of the day, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. How nice, here's some believers. He says, hey, have you guys received the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I have to understand this. What is taught mostly in evangelical circles is once you believe Jesus, that's, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. And you can see here, according to Acts, this is not what is happening. So it's a separate thing. He says, well, we didn't even hear about the Holy Spirit. He says, well, what baptism did you receive? They said, John, they were baptized under, by John the Baptist. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So now they have a Christian baptism. And then a separate experience when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. What am I doing? I'm trying to show you. This thing about receiving the Holy Spirit is a separate and distinct experience. Sometimes it happens spontaneously. Sometimes it happens because a prophet or a, a you know, apostle or something would come and lay hands on them or someone else would pray for them. But clearly, I, you really have to stretch it to come up with the idea that no, this just happens when you believe in Jesus. Well, you say, well, a part of the Holy Spirit has to come in your heart when you believe. That's what's, and I would agree with that. But this baptism of the Holy Spirit is always described as a second and separate, I'm sorry, and distinct experience. Now, <clears throat> Celebration Church, as you know, is a work of a convergent church. We, we mix the three streams of Christianity, uh, evangelical, charismatic, and uh, liturgical. We kind of blend it together. Hope you like our blend. Anyway, and convergent, they all do it a little bit differently and stuff. It's not really controlled by anybody. Uh, and we try to take, you know, what we hope is the best of these and filter out some of the worst. Now, evangelicals, like I said, tend to believe that you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. And they point to the fact they believe that all of that was supposed to stop at some point. They get this from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, at verse 8. Love never ends, but for prophecies, they will come to an end. See, Mark, it's going to come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. See, Mark, it says it will stop. We'll keep reading, buckwheat. 
As for knowledge, it will come to an end. And I'm pretty sure they also have their Bible colleges and Bible studies, and the knowledge has not come to an end. They just, they just, for some reason, don't like this thing. Although it's starting to change, even among staunch evangelicals, more and more are being open to this experience. And the more they study the scriptures, they see this. What he's talking about is heaven. Everything's going to change. Because then he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. And that's, that's, the Christ, that's the Christian experience, right? We're kind of going around, can't quite tell what's going on, and just, you know, it's by faith, you know? He says, but a time is coming. Well, we will see face to face. I now, I, now I know only in part, then I will know fully. The context he's talking about is when you get to heaven. You're not going to need tongues and miracles and prophecies, any of these stuff, any of these things, or knowledge, because we will be fully known when we get to heaven. So this idea that this verse means that they were saying this should stop, and then they say, well, it was supposed to stop. Uh, the King James Version says when the perfect has come. Virtually no other translation says that, but most evangelical hardcore hang on to the King James Version. And they say, well, that's when the Bible, when they finally got the Bible, that was perfect. And that's why it should stop now. Again, that's not what he's talking about. And even with the Bible, I don't know about you, have you noticed things are still not perfect? Even the translations all aren't agreeing with each other. Okay, so now, interestingly enough, liturgical churches, many of you who are growing up in liturgical churches, they get this concept. They understand that it is a separate experience. They believe it is imparted when one is confirmed. All right? When they're confirming these children, this is not when they receive the Holy Spirit. So they understand it. The problem with liturgy, and God bless them, everybody's different, and you know, peace, we're not trying to fight with anybody, but uh, the problem with liturgical churches, from my view, is they take a, some of the most meaningful Christian experiences and shove them when you're an, an infant or a child. When you don't know Jack. You see what I'm saying? Baptism when you're an infant? An infant doesn't know anything. Being confirmed to receive the Holy Spirit when, how old do we get confirmed? Eight years old, I have no idea, you know. And they don't know, they're just doing what everybody's telling them to do. These were adult experiences that people mixed with faith, and they stepped out. So interestingly enough, even though evangelicals kind of fight it, even the liturgical people admit and acknowledge, yes, of course, it was a separate experience. Again, the problem with them is they tend to just shove it all real early when it doesn't mean anything to anybody, which I just think is really odd. Anyway, then finally, the Charismatics. Uh, they get this clearly. That's why they're called Charismatics. They understand this as being a separate experience. So you got the Charismatics and their more extreme cousins, the, the Pentecostals. <laughs> I was thinking this morning, there was my son-in-law, Ross. He was, uh, <laughs> he was talking to some church or something like that, and he was going to perform the ceremony or something. And they said, well, what, what denomination are you? But the church we were in wasn't really a denomination. It would be charismatic. But he couldn't think of the word charismatic. And all, the only word that tried to come into his head was Pentecostal. And, and he said, uh, no, I, I'm a Pentecostal." And, uh, and I am roaring. He says, what? I said, Ross, you just told him you have five testicles. It's not Pentecostal, Pentecostal. Oh, oh, man, oh, man. Anyway very funny, and that has nothing to do with anything I'm saying. Anyway, uh, so charismatics, the problem with the charismatics is they tend to extreme a lot of this stuff. 
and do all kinds of crazy things, which I love them. I was raised in this world. I understand them like you cannot believe. But a lot of what is done in charismatic and Pentecostal churches is just beyond the Bible club. They're making stuff up. They're doing stuff. It's a lot of it's just emotional extremism. And uh, uh, it's just, quite frankly, a lot of it's inappropriate. And why so many people want to stay away from it. But you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I want the real deal. How many of you want the real deal? I want the real deal. I want to experience God in his fullness. Yes. So, you know, for example, there are people who print false dollars. I still like my dollars. And if you don't like yours, you can give them to me. All right? But just because there's counterfeits don't mean you get rid of the real thing. That's what I'm talking about. So, all this to say, of the three streams, the one that I think that we have neglected the most has been the, charis, uh, the uh, charismatic experience, the Holy Spirit part of this stream. And something that we were going to start dealing with last year, but then this pandemic kicked in, and now we're here, and we're all coming back out of it. So, on May 23rd, <laughs> uh, Bishop Sean Yost, uh, many of you will remember him from... Uh, not last year, but yeah, last year when he came and did the uh, Ash Wednesday service for us. Great guy. I've been spending a lot of time with him down there and working on some projects together. I'll let you know about it. It's really some exciting stuff. Anyway, uh, Bishop Sean is going to come on May 23rd, that morning. He's going to be speaking here. So it's just a few more weeks. And that night we're going to have a Holy Spirit emphasis night. We're going to be singing and worshiping, and he's going to encourage people. And then the bishop is going to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, for those of you in Stevens Point, we're going to be coming over the night before. So it'll be Saturday night so that you too can experience uh, this uh, thing. And uh, he said, well, what's going to happen with that when that happens? I don't know. You know, will I speak in tongues? I don't know. But some things it doesn't say what happened. Others... It says tongues, others it says prophecy, others, I don't know, I just, whatever. What I want, though, is for people, if you have never had someone lay their hands on you and pray for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you really need to come to this. There is nothing to fear. No one here is going to go stark raving mad and howling at the moon. If you do, I will throw you out. <laughs> Or call the police one or the other. Anyway, so, you know, it's going to be decently and in order. It's going to be fine. You say, well, will this make a big difference in my life? All I can tell you is ask anyone who has experienced this. And they will tell you it's a big difference. It's just a big difference. I don't want to tell you. A lot of people have not experienced it. Uh, they've been afraid of it or been raised in churches where they say you're not supposed to do it or whatever. I'm telling you, ask anyone, including myself, who's experienced it. It is a different ball game. It is, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. It is like, you know, drinking three or four Red Bulls. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes a difference. And we're going to be talking more about this in the weeks to come. And we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to encourage this here. There's, we we want God to be alive in this church. We want to see miracles. We want to see people who are sick getting better. We want to see prayers being answered. We want the supernatural uh, uh, happening. 
Now, that doesn't mean crazy. It means natural, just supernatural. All right? So I'm very excited about it. We'll keep talking about it as we come up to it. My voice is giving out a little bit here. You may not want to hug me today. I have a little bit of a cold. Just a tiny, itty-bitty one. Colds are so stupid. Are they good for you? Does it help build your immune system? I don't know. I don't it doesn't? Yeah, I don't know. otherwise, you know, it just makes you miserable. It won't kill you. So all afternoon, today I'm sure I'm going to be laying there going, eh, I'm just wondering why am I going through this? Ah. Anyway, so we're talking about it. We'll keep talking about it until we come up to the 23rd of May, and we're going to be celebrating this stuff. Listen, how many of you could use a spiritual shot in the arm? All right, that's what this is about. We want to experience, and we're not going to hold back. I will always teach you the full scriptures. And this is what the scripture teaches. And I don't care what culture or background you come from. And the truth is, there are virtually all churches' experiences at some point. There's charismatic Catholics. There's charismatic Lutherans. There's charismatic Presbyterians. There's charismatic Baptists. There's char- they're all, you know, God will not be put in a box. Amen. He's going to do his thing, and he's going to go wherever he wants to go. And what's really interesting is some of the fastest growing churches in the world, and I'm talking around the world, tend to be charismatic churches. Because they are just, they are very powerful, and they get people to experience God, experience miracles, and it's wonderful and energizing and nothing to be afraid of. Jesus said, uh, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, Jesus isn't going to give you a snake, you know. You can trust God when we ask for the right things. So anyway, all that to talk and just kind of leading up to where we're headed on May 23rd for you guys in point. It'll be the 22nd. And just... Let's rock and roll, man. Let's experience God in his fullness. And like I said, in the weeks to come, we're going to be speaking about these gifts of the Spirit. These are cool things. These should not be just things we're reading about in the Bible. These are things we should be experiencing right now, today. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right, enough of that. We're going to turn to our time of communion here with our current use of the cups that I don't like. (laughs) So uh, get ready to do it. If you haven't done it before, um, it's two layers. You got to pull the first layer to get to the bread and the second layer to get to the cup. And uh, you know, two more weeks and we'll be done with those again. Uh, and those of you at home, obviously you get to get whatever you're going to use for communion uh, so that we can uh, uh, take communion all together. But before we do that, I want to pray a prayer over all of us, okay? The Bible says before we take communion and we reflect on what Jesus did for us, on that cross. We're supposed to stop. We're supposed to examine ourselves. Keep a short account with God. If you've messed up in any way this last week, now's the time just to get it straight. So let me pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, thought, word, deed, something that we've done, Maybe something that we should have done that we didn't do. If we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved the people around us 
as we're supposed to. We ask you right now, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And while everybody has their head bowed and we're praying, and if you can think of something that you need to confess, just do that right now. Just whisper to God. And maybe you've never experienced what we've been talking about today. You've never experienced Jesus coming into your life and, and, and having this born-again experience. Uh, you can experience that right now. Just ask Jesus right now to ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of all your sins. And you can start taking your very first steps of faith today. It is powerful. It is energizing. It is liberating. And uh, you can do that right now. Amen.